This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Matt LaGrasa isn't the flashy goal scorer that gets his name in the headlines every week. Matt isn't the big, strong defender who catches everyone's attention with his size and his power. No, Matt is the midfielder that very few people notice. He's the one that plays pretty simple. He's the one that connects almost every pass without you even realizing it. He's the one who gets the job done. And he's the one who probably gets little to no credit most of the time. Leading up this interview, I sent Matt my standard list of questions that I like to ask, and he said he had no problem answering any of them. But during the actual interview, I realized very quickly that Matt didn't have standard answers to any of my standard questions. He was super candid about the fact that he didn't stand out in the crowd as a youth player. He just consistently and quietly did all of the right things. And he did just enough to get noticed by Cal Poly San Luis Obispo coach Paul Holliker in 2011. And Matt moved to San Luis, San Luis Obispo, slow, that's where I'm from. Uh, Matt moved to slow to play Division One college soccer. And again, it seems like this would be something standard for a young American soccer player to do. But Matt and his teammates were unfortunately dealt a very bad hand and were forced to make the most out of a very bad situation that they were put in. His stories about his college experiences are vivid. And during our interview, he recalls what it was like not only navigating his way through a broken system, but leading others through it as he was the captain of his team. The stories that he tells are good for any player, parent, or coach to listen to. And at the time that we recorded this interview, Matt had just signed with Nashville FC. And the very next day, MLS announced that Nashville would be their next expansion team. And you are going to hear Matt talk about his journey through youth and college soccer. And you're going to hear Matt talk about what it was like to be tossed around throughout the the lower divisions of American professional soccer. And you're going to hear Matt talk about why he's incredibly happy to be at Nashville FC right now. But he also knows from experience that nothing in soccer is guaranteed. Matt has an inspiring story. He went the route that so many young American soccer players traditionally go, but he had to overcome obstacle after obstacle in order to get to where he is today. And I had no clue what was happening behind the scenes as I was watching Matt play while he was at Cal Poly. But it was always a pleasure to watch him play. And I was fortunate to get to see him and some of his teammates play for Coach Paul Holliker, someone that I truly respect. And it was at that time that I was finding my footing in the coaching world. And I was following and learning things from Brian Clyburn and 343. And ironically, so was Paul. So there couldn't have been a better college team for me to be watching during that time of my coaching development. And a lot of what I was learning from Brian then and what Paul was learning from Brian then ended up becoming the backbone of the 343 coaching education program. And the 343 coaching education program is what powers this podcast. 343 offers a free seven-week course and also a premium multi-phase course 
The free seven-week course is a great introduction to 343's proven possession-based methodology. It's a great place to start if you are just getting to know 343, but we also offer a premium course that takes a much deeper dive into that methodology with exclusive audio interviews, classroom sessions, training videos, eBooks, access to the nationwide community of 343 members via the online forums, and so much more. The 343 Coaching Education Program gives you an inside look at the cutting-edge training methods that are being used to develop pros here in the United States. You can find out more about those programs by or by visiting, sorry, can't speak now, by visiting 343coaching.com. That's the number three, the number four, number three, coaching, all spelled out, dot com. And just a reminder, you can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And if you enjoy the show, it would be awesome if you could leave a five-star rating wherever you are listening. Okay, with that, let's get into today's episode with Matt LaGrasa. Hello? Hey, what's up, Matt? How you doing, John? Doing all right, dude. Can you hear me fine? Yeah, can you hear me? I've, I've thrown in headphones. Absolutely. Too. No, it sounds perfect. Perfect. That's good to hear. <laughs> I'm, in a, I'm in a coffee shop, so I don't think there'll be that much noise, but I guess you never know. No, it sounds I, fine. Okay. Yeah, even if, even if it if somebody gets loud in there, it'll be, it'll be funny. It'll sound okay, real. Okay, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. So you looked over the, the little list of topics and stuff. Everything looks good? Yeah, looks great, man. Um, right. I don't have uh, too many uh, controversies in my career, so thankfully I haven't gotten myself into too much trouble yet. <laughs> That's no, good. No. Well, you're, you're still starting your career, so we don't want to we don't want to get off to yeah. a bad start. I don't want to jinx it, but I haven't, uh, you know, nothing I can't talk about yet. That's good. Hey, and and I know well, this this might be something you can or can't talk about, but because it's not going out until 2018, it's probably not a huge deal. But are, are you able to talk about, like, the MLS, Nashville, whatever stuff that's happening? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I am I mean, I don't – I haven't talked to them to ask them. But I'll tell you, uh, I mean, I probably don't know anything more than the average person. You know, I Got follow it. Twitter. I follow Twitter as closely as anybody to try to figure out what the heck's going on. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think – I'm pretty sure it would be fine. Okay, cool. Um yeah, then maybe maybe that's like all. I can just kind of lead you into that, and you can just say exactly what you just said because that's a that's not controversial at all. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Cool. Um. Well. Uh. Let's just get into it, man. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. All right. Cool. Um. So, I I don't know if you would remember. Well, actually, let let's back up real quick. Let's let's start somewhere else. You you got to Cal Poly in 2011, right? Yes, 2011. And, and and Paul Holliker was was the coach then. Yep, Paul okay. uh, recruited me in and everything. Okay, cool. Because Paul Paul and I have uh, we have an interesting relationship. We go we go back a, a few years and and I was coaching high school soccer here on the Central Coast in, in Santa Maria actually, and I was trying okay. to send some guys up to Paul and then it, it ended up not working out and then I actually ended up getting a job coaching the men's club team at Cal Poly. So I was coaching alongside. Uh, you guys, when when you guys were training at seven in the morning, I was on the other field with the with the club team. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I still have a uh, good connects 
with uh, club soccer there. I knew a bunch of the guys that played, and I still talk to CJ when I'm back, who's the club coach now, um, CJ Sigler. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I actually, my girlfriend of a long time there was on the girls' club team, so I knew the club team well. Who was your girlfriend? I'm curious. Mm, it was uh, Emily Inman at the time. Oh, okay. we, we, we're not together anymore, but we were together at the time. So Yeah, no, I actually, <laughs> I, I remember her. Um, yeah, she was a good player, so... Yeah, and so so funny about CJ too because I run into CJ all the time. Just I, I I worked at a bar in downtown for for a number of years, and and CJ and I would cross paths even even though I wasn't coaching there anymore. And I had no idea that CJ actually had a Twitter and then followed me. And then <laughs> it wasn't oh, okay. until this this morning actually CJ responded to something that I put out, and I was like, holy shit, dude! I didn't know you had a Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, He's a good dude. I like the Siglers a lot. That's a great family. Um, you know, Pat, Pat was a fifth year senior when I first came in as a freshman. Um, you know, and he was the leader of the team. It was his team. And, um, you know, those guys, when you first come in, you know, they're superheroes to you. And, um, I think those guys had a big impact on, on me and my career and my development and all that stuff. So, um, him along with, I think we had like six other, seven other fifth year seniors that were, I think made a big impact on our freshman class. And so that's funny you mentioned the fifth year thing because one of the things I looked up in in the notes about you is that your was it your first year that was a redshirt year? Yeah, I redshirted my first year. Um, at the time, I was absolutely devastated about it. I think any freshman usually is because um, it wasn't because of injury. It was just uh, it was a straight up redshirt. You know, take the year to develop. We had a pretty heavily uh, like senior based roster basically when I came in and. Um, you know, there just wasn't room for me on the field and, you know, Paul, you know, sat me down and said, you know, you know, we might be able to use you for 10 minutes a game here and there, but we think you'd be more, it'd be more beneficial for you to have that year later. And, um, at the time I hated it and I think it was one of the best things that ever happened to me really. And you obviously didn't know that going in though like you were going to Cal Poly as a, as this freshman kid and you were probably like all amped like oh I'm going to come and, and just take over the yeah. world right oh absolutely I think every every 18 year old I mean you never really face a setback until you've most of us anyway until you get to college at least like a real setback and um you know that's where it first kind of hits that you know everybody that's coming to Cal Poly was just as good as you on your club team when you came in and, you know, to earn a spot as an 18 year old against these 22 year olds that are really, you know, in a different stage of development at that time, it, it's not an easy task. You know what I mean? You, you got to be good and you got to be physically ready. You got to be mentally ready. It's not it's not just the gimme, and especially, you know, Cal Poly is a competitive program. It's a school a lot of people want to go to. They can get a lot of very good recruits in there. So, um, yeah, it was uh, devastating at the time, but hindsight was a good thing. So tell me about how you actually found out about that, like, or at what time you found out and, and how did you and Paul even have that conversation? Yeah. So, uh, well, Paul, Paul might tell this story a little differently and I'll start, <laughs> I'll start this by saying that I have no hard feelings with Paul. I still talk to him. He's, you know, I, I credit him for a lot of the success I've had as a pro and collegiately, um, you know, cause he really took the time to develop me as a player but I remember it as, you know, I was coming out of high school and he wanted me to play over the summer. So I was I was sent. He asked he, he found a spot for me in the Des Moines Menace. It's a PDL team all the way out in Des Moines. 
And at the time, I'd never even left home. I'd never lived anywhere else. So I got sent as an 18-year-old to Des Moines, Iowa for the summer. Um, you know, they, they covered my housing, some of my flights. They, they covered most of the expenses. I just had to cover, I think, food or whatever it was. But um, he told me, if you can play for the Des Moines Menace, because they're a good PDL side, then you can play for us at Cal Poly and you'll get your shot. And uh, I did actually end up breaking into the lineup and started about eight or nine games for them. But then when I but then when I came in in preseason, I still just wasn't really ready to to play. And so he had, he made the decision to retro me. And it, it's not as like definitive. I think it was more of you know, hey, we're not going to play you this game. Hey, we're not going to play you this game. And then eventually it's like, okay, well, you haven't played in eight games. We're probably going to just take this year, you know? So. And, and one of the one of the more, I, I guess, thing, or unique things that stood out now that I think about your playing resume and the stories that you just told about, like, Pat and these guys that were fifth-year seniors and, and whatnot, you didn't take that fifth year, right? I did. So oh, I, played did? That last, okay. I played okay. that last season. Um, but I, one of the, this is why one of the things I'll say that I really am so grateful that I was able to redshirt is that I graduated that same quarter. I actually took, I think eight units, my last quarter at Cal Poly, because as long as you, as long as you only have so eight units left to graduate, then you can take just eight units and still be eligible to play. So I, I took those last eight units graduated that winter and was able to pursue my professional career with all that weight off my chest because I've completed my degree, which to me is, is massive. Maybe um, that's, maybe that's what stood out to me then. Cause yeah, you jumped right into like the pursuit of the next level. You didn't, you didn't take any yeah. time off. No, I, I didn't. Um, and I didn't need that, that winter or spring quarter to complete my degree. Whereas, you know, I, some of my buddies that graduated with me, um, you know, even, I think you mentioned that you, uh, that you had an interview with Amobi Akugo before. I did, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, Amobi's, Amobi's a, a buddy of mine. You know, we're both from the Sacramento area, Elk Grove. And, like, he's just graduated, I'm pretty sure. I think he just received his undergrad, like, this week. I saw, and, I saw him post a picture with his little yeah, diploma cap on. And <laughs> exactly, which is it's awesome for him that he went and did it. But, you know, I think he's 26 or 27 now. And, you know, I, I got that done at 22, which is, you know, a, a lot of pressure off, off for me, you know, because especially depending on the, you know, the dynamics of your career. I mean, I think most of us don't really expect to retire fully when we're done playing soccer. We're going to continue doing something. So that was one of the more interesting things about interviewing a Moby is like he has this career as a professional soccer player playing with Timbers and, and he's actually kind of been a little bit of a journeyman he's bounced around quite a bit but yeah the, the entire time he's working on like building the side business and then going to school and taking classes and, and now just yeah. graduating and so to hear a guy like him kind of yeah talk about like planning for the the afterlife the soccer afterlife it's like it, it's it's it was amazing to hear him talk about it actually and, and i follow some, a lot of his stuff with his uh what is it called frugal athlete frugal athlete yeah, <laughs> yeah. no he's he's very active and um he's he's impressive he's an impressive guy um he's very smart and you know i think you know for me personally I, i've always seen him he's my my older brother's age he played against my older brother when i was you know a kid and you know he's always been he was always highly touted he was he was always a big deal in sacramento and so i've always kind of looked up to him in that sense and now now i train with him and we're friends and stuff which is great but you know, he's, uh, I definitely am inspired by the things that he does off the field and, and how proactive he is about 
making sure he gets things right for what he's done playing soccer. When you when you watch a guy like Amobi though, and and he makes a decision to to take the pro route a little bit earlier than some, and and passes up the the early opportunity to to complete the education. Do do you see that and and wish that you would have went that route or what was it like at the time maybe when you were trying to make that decision? Well, to be honest with you, John, I don't think, uh, me and, me and Moby have very different career paths and that is for a reason. And, um, I, I was never, um, seen in the caliber of a Moby growing up. I was a very good player. Um, you know, I, I was obviously one of the better players on my youth teams growing up, but I wasn't, national team since 14 years old I wasn't um you know Amobi when he went to UCLA I think most people knew he was going to be there a quarter and take off nobody thought I was going to be at Cal Poly for a quarter and leave you know (laughs) that's just the reality of it and it's no bitterness or you know I think if I was granted the opportunity to take a generation Adidas contract when I was you know 20 years old 21 years old it would have been a you know an interesting interesting choice I would have had to make um but those especially the generation adidas contracts in general i mean those are great opportunities for young players to really take a shot at the pro game i mean it's not like these kids are getting paid the league minimum and i mean these are like two three-year guaranteed deals six figures a lot of times i mean it, it doesn't really make any sense not to take those chances i feel like in my opinion because especially if you're as diligent of a person like Amobi who's willing to go back and get your degree. I mean, you're going to have the money to pay for it. And you mentioned that, that you and him and, and, and a lot of others, probably the guys that have done the generation Adidas route and, and gone to pro or gone, gone to the pros a little bit earlier. You mentioned that the, the career path has been different, but you obviously, you had your, your sights set on, you know, higher level soccer, you wanted to play college soccer. Was there ever like the idea when you were growing up that you wanted to play pro or did, or did that come later? Um, no, I, I wanted to play pro since I was a, a young kid, really. I mean, I, I probably really knew when I was about 14 years old, um, that that's what, what I wanted. What made you um, know what, what, what was significant at 14 years old? Um, it wasn't like a, the things that I did was never like, Oh, I'm doing these because I want to go pro. It was because I loved soccer so much. I mean, when I was 10, 11 years old, I was going to my training, getting done with my training. My mom would pick me up, take me straight to my older brother's training. I'd train with them. I mean, I I would go after school when I was in high school and do an hour's worth of technical work, um, drive, you know, across the city to go play for the academy, um, CDA, and and train with them for you know two hours, drive back. Uh, you know, those things that I did, I did because I love soccer, and I, I still have that passion, that drive. I mean, it, it just it wasn't ever like a oh I'm doing this so I can become pro. It was like I, I love soccer and I I want to be the best that I can be at it. And if it works out that I become pro, then awesome. But I think at 14, you know, I was watching a lot of pro soccer and, you know, I was, I, I was honestly, I mean, I don't think, I don't think anybody would have thought at 14 that I was going to be a pro, but I, I wanted to be, I knew I wanted to be. Why, why do you um, say that? that? That sounds funny when you say it like that. Um, I mean, I was a good player, John, but I don't think like I, I've made a career off of being 
consistent and working very hard. I don't think, I mean, I think I'm a talented player in certain aspects, but I don't think that, um, I don't think I was given ability um, to a level that a lot of people are. I think that I've worked for a lot of the things that I've you know, accomplished in my career. I think if you were to ask Paul Holliker if I was the top recruit coming in of my freshman class, he would say no way. There was eight of us, and I was probably not in the top half necessarily. I mean, maybe I was number four of the eight that he thought were you know, coming in and had a real chance to make the pros. But I've, uh, I've made a living off of outworking people and um, being consistent and just adapting to my environments quickly. You know, when I got thrown into the college game, I wasn't ready. And I adapted quickly and became one of the better players on the team and the captain for two years. You know, when I got thrown into Sac Republic, I wasn't ready. And, you know, I did the things right to prepare myself went on loan when I needed to go on loan and, you know, made opportunities for myself, but I don't think I was, you know, and that's what I mean to an extent when I say that, you know, me and Amobi or have different career paths is, is there's, there's times where there's certain players who, you know, from a young age that they're going to be, they're going to get a, a, an opportunity in the pros. Um, you know, they're very talented and, um, and uh, you know, they, they're, you know, scouted from a young age. I don't think I've been one of those players. You know? So from age 14 to 18 or, or 14 to whenever Paul kind of set his sights on you, what, yeah. what were, what were you doing that, that maybe caught his attention or that other kids weren't or that, I don't know, what were you working on at that time that, that set you apart? Well, I'll say, I think, I remember my grandma helped out. <laughs> she helped me because I really, my grandma helped out because she, I wanted to go to the Cal Poly soccer camp because Cal Poly was always a dream school for me. I think growing up in Sacramento, anywhere near the beach was considered a dream school. Um, you know, so I mean, I looked at a lot of Southern California schools and um, Cal Poly, I didn't really know about probably till I was even 16. Um, and uh, one of my brother's best friends was going there for an engineering degree and I visited him and I fell in love with the place like everybody else does. You know, it's so special. Of course. Um, and <laughs> it's hard not to. Yeah, it, it's just incredible. And I went to one of the residential camps. Um, so it was five days residential. I was playing at a good level at that time. I was playing for the academy and um, I was, or I was about to start playing for the academy because it was in the summer. And, um, and uh, I don't think, again, um, maybe Paul would tell this story differently, but I remember that, you know, Paul watched uh, watched me play specifically. Um, and I think he was mildly interested, um, but I kind of fell off the radar and he kind of forgot about me for about six months. And then I went on a tear when I was about 17 in the academy. I was playing center midfield and scoring a lot of goals. I scored 18 goals in 23 games that year. And... Paul came to one of the showcases and I remember I scored a diving header right in front of him. I think after that weekend, after that weekend, he kind of got the idea that, that I would, he was pretty interested in me. And I actually generated a little bit of interest from UCLA, but they probably wanted me to just walk on. I don't think they had money on money for me or anything because I didn't play for the national team. And, um, uh, I 
think I told Paul, I, I was like, hey, you know, I'm really interested in you. They made an offer to me at the time. But, you know, financially, I wasn't sure if it was going to work, whatever. And uh, I told Paul I was going to go to the, the UCLA camp. And and he started calling off the hook. He called me like five <laughs> times that day and made sure I didn't go to the UCLA camp. And I, I think I committed to Cal Poly that weekend. So That's awesome. Um, and, and yeah. We've kind of we've kind of bounced around. From like, we started in college and went back to youth and, and now we're getting yeah. back into college. So we already know that you, you got to Cal Poly and you, and you redshirted, but you yeah. said that, 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 that was a big like developmental year for you. And I'm, I'm kind of familiar and actually Paul's been a guest on this podcast and he's been a presenter at, at some of our in-person events as well. So some of the listeners to this show might be familiar with, with who Paul is and, and how he coaches or sees the game. As a young 18-year-old coming in, and now you're redshirting, and 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 you're in a brand new environment. You're in San Luis Obispo, which is an amazing city, and and, and things like that. What were what were some of the big takeaways from that that freshman year? What what were some of the big developments? Um, well, there was I'd say there's multiple, but I'd say one of the biggest ones that you have to make when you head off to college is is the mental development. To just, I mean. For some kids, it's just hard enough just to take care of yourself, you know. It's your first time taking care of yourself. You, know, you got to do your own laundry and whatever it is, show up to class, do your homework, um, you know. And then you and add in all the other aspects of you know, time management and, you know, practice every day and all this stuff. But um, as a player, Paul, this is why I credit him so much for, you know, what he's done for me. Paul and – and I'll throw in the name Brian Reed, too, because, you know, he was huge for me while I was at Cal Poly. But Paul, Paul held me and Chase Minter um, after training probably three times a week that first year. And we spent probably an hour of just technical reps development. I mean, he would bring us in for extra film sessions where we would just sit and watch Javi and Iniesta and um, – study the game like I'd never studied it before. I mean, and Paul always talks about this. He'll, he'll use these lines probably just as much as I would, but about knowing how to train yourself. And, and until you've really seen, um, you know, things pointed out on film that you would have never seen before or, um, you know, technical development in a, in a way that you've never developed before, you, you don't, you can, you can go out and train for three hours and it might not be super productive if you don't know what you're, looking for what you're trying to accomplish whereas Paul really gave me that direction and really focused on my development and I think those I mean technically I probably wasn't really up to par that first year I think Paul got me there pretty quickly um and he just he focused on every little detail I wasn't checking my shoulder enough to play center midfield he had me checking my shoulder in every drill I did I mean it he's one of the best, you know, player developers I think that there is in this country in terms of just focusing on little details and being able to pick out every little thing that's that's holding you back in your game. And um, I definitely credit him to a lot of for a lot of that. That's so funny that you mentioned Chase's name because when I used to go and watch the the D one team play and I, I've I've watched those games for, for I don't know more than a decade now i've been going up to st louis to watch the games but you were one player that i had or that had caught my attention and then chase was the other one that always caught my attention and that's so funny to hear you say that that it, it was you too that 
that Paul kind of kept kept after practice and, and gave, um, I don't want to say extra attention to, but maybe that is the right way to put it. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I think the two of us were ones that he really focused on. Um, and again, and Chase is another example of, of a player that just has a different route than me. And, and he's facing his own challenges now. And I'm not saying that, that players like a Moby and, and uh, you know, any other player that gets a generation of Adidas contract or a lot of hype and attention out, out of college doesn't, you know, face these challenges. But, you know, Chase is a very pretty player to watch. And I think you watch one game and he stands out to you. And then you have guys like me. And you wouldn't really watch one game and go, hey, that's the guy I want on my team. But I think if you watch a season's worth of game, you go, wow, he does the same things over and over again pretty consistently. He's always working hard. He's got, you know, the, the different type of qualities, if you, if you get what I'm saying, just to try to, like, hammer home that point of, like, how there's different routes for different people in terms of the pro game. No, absolutely. And there's there's guys that can kind of fly under the radar because they aren't a flashy player, but maybe they have, you know, an uh, 80 to 90, 90%, you know, passing completion rate or something like that. And and a lot of times that goes that goes uh, unnoticed. And yeah when you when you have a guy in the field that is scoring you know 20 goals or you know lighting people up in the wing or something like that then the guys that guys that are the workhorses yeah they get overlooked and it's it's unfortunate but no i i i picked you out i think who was i watching a game with it must have been i must have been with ian lane because ian was a cal poly student at the time and i think he was playing at the uh he might have been playing on the club team too but we were in the stands and and we were uh I think I was I was probably taking notes and I had written down your name, Chase's name, and I want to say there was one other guy who I wrote down, but he ended up like going into like kickboxing or something. I, kickboxing. I can't, I can't remember who it was. Was it Benny? Oh, Benny Estes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I still talk to him. I, well, yeah. we all talk still, but uh, yeah, he's not playing anymore. But uh, yeah, Benny, Benny and I, I, I learned a lot from Benny. Actually, you know, we have some similar qualities. You know, he's kind of like another guy that I'd say probably wouldn't stand out to you necessarily first thing. But, you know, over time, you'd realize the work that he does. He's a real, he's a workhorse. Yeah. What, 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 what was up with him? Did he do like MMA or something like that? I don't know what he did. I think, I mean, he finished his playing career and I don't think there was a lot of pro interest and he didn't want to go the USL route. And that's a lot of, that's a choice a lot of guys make is, you know, not wanting, you know, to really grind through those first couple pro years to and it is it's a grind um to get to where you really want to be because none of us want to be in the usl or if we are we don't want to be making the money that most of the people make in the usl and that's just part of the fight you know it's like starting over you're a freshman again and you gotta earn your place do you guys talk about that as, as teammates or as, as just like just fellow soccer players do you guys get into that you know, uh, topic of like, fuck, I'm back in USL or, you know, how much longer do I have to be here? Or... Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, when you're with a team, you're focused on what that team's trying to accomplish. And then you, you hope that the other things are going to work out. That was kind of an interesting dynamic at Reno last year is because, you know, there's a couple times where we're getting pulled up to the quakes for a week for training, you know, and there's four of us or five of us or three of us, whatever. And we're going to the quakes to train and, and I think it just makes for – it kind of makes for bad team chemistry because everybody at Reno's goal is to make the quakes. And if you watch four or five guys go up and you're not one of them, 
and then they come back and then it's, it just it feels off and it, it's kind of an interesting dynamic but one of those things that you just have to deal with and I think it's part of the pro game you know so talk a little bit more about like your your path from Cal Poly to and, and let's try to build up to where where you are now because Cal Poly yeah. you, you you redshirted the freshman year <laughs> You, you ended up playing your your fifth season uh, fifth season as a senior, yeah. Um, and, and then th- there was some stuff sprinkled in there, and and then now you're getting ready to to make the the jump over to Nashville. So let's try to connect some of those dots. All right, perfect. Um, so, well, let's go from when I measured I think you know we got through that year. Um, you know, a lot of personal development. I, I'm big on personal development too. Just trying to you know be. A better person and I think that's part of the growing process that everybody's trying to accomplish but a lot of personal development a lot of soccer development took place in that year my second year came around so I was a redshirt freshman and again we still had a pretty an older team we had a little bit more of an identity uh Paul was you know pretty honed in on trying to play possession-based attacking style soccer um at that point and um, I still wasn't a big factor of the team. I think my redshirt freshman year, I probably averaged about 15 minutes of the game, um, maybe maybe more, maybe less. But I wasn't playing a whole lot. Maybe scored. I think I scored a goal or two and had a couple assists. And it was a pretty. It wasn't a, a real impactful year in terms of um, stats. Or, um, but I do think the development, you know, started to come along. I think that was Benny's senior year. Um, and so then, you know, fast forward to the next year was probably more impactful in terms of a, a soccer basis. That was really my breakout year. Um, I was a sophomore technically um, standing, would have been a junior if I didn't redshirt. Um, and I think that year I was still playing center midfield. Um, and I still, I mean, I wasn't like a locked in player coming into preseason. It was, you know, I was still fighting for my spot. Um, you know, there was a lot of competition and, a lot of guys that were you know, good players that still play too, you know, guys like George Malky that I was competing with, who's now with the Dynamo. Um, and I scored six goals that year from center midfield, which in college, in college terms is, is a very good year. And, um, earned, earned first team all conference honors um, as a redshirt sophomore and was, uh, yeah, it was a great year. And, you know, then you the interesting dynamic of the of the college game is that then you lose all your seniors or whoever um, right after that fall. And then you have to kind of rebuild your team for whatever it is, eight months. And I was Paul was with us at that time still. And he had kind of selected me to be the leader moving forward going into my junior year. And so, you know, I was I was his captain um, moving forward. And probably the hardest thing that I had to deal with was, you know, that year I played with Ventura, which I can talk about a bit. I know that that was something you want to talk about, but um, the uh, was the transition from Paul not being our coach anymore because of how sudden it was. Um, so, you know, we went, I, we had prepared everything, you know, you, you, you train all spring, you're training specific things, you're training a style of play, you're training a formation, all these things, and you train all spring. I mean, summertime, you're sending emails out, film clips to everybody, you know, 
and I'm organizing, you know, when you're the captain, you organize the preseason. So I'm organizing the preseason, um, you know, telling people, all the freshmen that are coming in, when they need to be here, all the stuff. And about three, I think it was three days exactly um, before our preseason started, um, Paul comes up to me and I was working camps. I was back in slow and I, the guy's, I mean, he's almost in tears and I can just tell something's up. I'm talking to George Malky, who's also in town, but he wasn't on the team anymore. I'm like, what's up, George? What's going on? We're trying to figure it out. And basically, long story short, uh, you know, the athletic director had decided to fire Paul. Um, so Paul was, you know, getting fired three days before my junior season was about to start. And so that was a scramble. Um, you know, we as players uh, had to, I had to bring everybody together. You know, you got freshmen that are coming in that don't know what to expect, don't know um, really anything, have committed to play for Cal Poly and for Paul Holliker and just found out that he's been fired you know, three days before the season starts. And it was hectic. It was a hectic year um, in general. Um, you know, I think we did the best we could with what we had. Our, our leadership group was good. We had guys like Kip Colby, um, Steve Palacios, Chase Minter, um, you know, Wade Hamilton, you know, who all tried to step up in their own way, Cody Lacasa. And these are all guys that are really still playing. And they all tried to step up in their own way. But, you know, as a team, you need that central leadership piece. And, you know, we had the interim coach, Phil Ruskin, who also I think, you know, he did the best that he could. Um, but he was, I think he was 27 years old at the time, you know, with no coaching experience at the D1 level. And really, you know, me and Steve and Kip, we, we did a lot of coaching that year and holding it all together as best we could. And honestly, I think we could have, we were on par to have a great year. I think if it wasn't for some injuries that really set back that year because, you know, I was having the best year that I'd had so far. Um, you know, I had five goals and two assists through our first 11 games in the center midfield. So I was, I was on pace to have a great year and um, we had too many injuries. And I actually as our, at the time, our leading goal scorer, I got moved back to center back um, just to fill holes and try to, you know, make the team successful, but we just couldn't hold it together and um, really just kind of crashed at the end of the year and ended up not making the big West tournament. It was the only time I didn't make the big West tournament when I was in college. So that's crazy, man. I, I, I can't even imagine going through that as a player and especially as a young player where it's like you, you're on this path and, and you kind of have this vision for like how the next maybe two or three years is going to play out. And then all of a sudden the rug gets yanked out from underneath you. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was in full panic mode to be honest for a while because you know, it's one thing to be a player and to deal with yourself and your own game, you know, and, that's that's the first challenge when you get to college and then you know now I'm being I'm taking over this new task of being captain of the team and having to look after more people than just myself and that was its own challenge and I was nervous enough for that and then I find out three days before the season starts that our coach is getting fired and now it's like it wasn't it wasn't just my job to look after everybody it was like it was just my job you know it, it became a much bigger responsibility when you have your head coach yanked out from you three days before the season and then you 
you not only had to get through that season, but you had one one more season to get through after that as well, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, we – I think the athletic director um, – he got the picture that, that the soccer players were not happy with him, with how he dealt with the situation, with how it all played out. And I think he felt a bit of remorse um, for how it all went down because we had only one senior that year, Steve Palacios, who came in in my class. He's a very good player. He doesn't play anymore. But, um, and he ruined his senior year. And it was really unfortunate because, you know, to do something like that, that was the hardest part was to watch Steve because he was the only senior we had and his senior year was just getting taken from him basically. And, um, but the off season hit, we got through it. And, um, you know, I think the athletic director, like I said, he, he felt a bit guilty for what he had done. So he went out and he was listening to us very clearly. And, um, that's when the search, when the search started, we, you know, I was talking to Steve Sampson, um, he ran some of our preseason stuff sometimes and helped us out. So, you know, he, at that point he was a friend of mine and, um, you know, I think, I don't remember exactly how it turned out, but I told, uh, the athletic director, ask Steve if he wants a job or if he's interested in at least talk to him about it. And, um, you know, that's how Steve was eventually, uh, initially he was kind of just uh, there to help us along with the process, but you know, ended up with the job and, um, you know, our senior, my senior year was, was great. We made the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, Steve brought his own aspects to the club and, and you could, or to the college and you could tell the changes that, that took place, um, actually fairly quickly with, with him in charge. Um, you know, just in terms of professionalism and how he wanted things to operate. I think, you know, he's, he's great for a lot of stuff like that. And, um, obviously brought his own style of play and all that. So. Um, but yeah, we had that, we had that head leader back for my senior year, which was the key. We had a central piece that wasn't a player that, you know, that was, you know, able to hone in all that. That's crazy, dude. Like I, I didn't, I didn't realize that you were so instrumental in getting Steve in there and you, you had to wear this hat of, you know, player captain at sometimes at, at, at different moments, it sounds like you, you were kind of leading training sessions in a way too. And then all of a sudden here you are recruiting a coach to, to yeah. lead, to lead the team your senior year. That's a massive responsibility for like a 21 or 22 year old kid. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, it was big. And, uh, I think I grew up a lot definitely during it all. And, um, you know, thankfully I wasn't the only one. There was other people that were involved with it with me, but, um, yeah, it was it was an interesting process for somebody of my age to be, um, you know, have and and with Phil, uh, our our interim coach, you know, he had a difficult role because you know when you take over three days before the season, you know, none of us were really stoked that he was taken over, um, and not that we didn't dislike him, but we knew that he wasn't qualified to be coaching our team for you know a Division One team and. And so he was so interested, so focused in on trying to keep us happy that, you know, he'd be asking me about starting lineups at times. And I'm telling him, you know, I think this guy, it was like, it was, it was more than a player's responsibility. And those are things that you would never want to deal with as a pro because it's just too much, you know what I mean? So it's like, it was too much really, but um, we got through the year and 
Um, had a, I had a great senior year. Um, I didn't have like the senior year I wanted because, but we had a good senior class, Wade, Chase, Kip, me. And again, back to the whole, <laughs> I have a different path than, than ever than a lot of other pros, but I was the only one of the four that didn't get drafted. Um, so, you know, Chase went to the Columbus crew in first pick of the second round. Um, Kip went early in the third round, I think, to San Jose. And Wade went in the third or fourth round to Portland Timbers. So, um, and I was the only one that got kind of skipped out on. And it was, it was hard. That was, that was a hard one because I knew it. I'd put everything into that. And I knew I wanted to be, it was even just getting skipped out on the combine was hard because I knew if I got to myself to the combine, I could show. And I believed in myself. And to not be a part of it was just, it was pretty rough. But, um, when, yeah, you, when I, you say when you say rough, I I, I want to kind of dig into that. When you say rough, like how how do you how do you handle something like that? Like all your buddies are and your teammates are going out and, and you know chasing that that dream of becoming a pro, and there's really n- nothing you can do because it's like selection based. Like you yeah. you just didn't get picked. So how how do you react to that as a player? Well, you're you're from slow, right? Yeah. I'll tell you, I uh, when I found out I didn't get drafted. I uh, I ran up Madonna Mountain in the pouring rain. It was pouring rain at the time, actually. I ran up Madonna Mountain as fast as I could. Like, I just didn't stop. I just ran. And I called my dad. I don't know. That's, like, all I did. I, I ran up Madonna Mountain and called my dad. And That's crazy. For people that are listening that don't know what that is, it's just it's a steep-ass hill that it's not easy to run. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I had actually made the guys – that was one of the things I did with them when I was captain is I made the guys run Madonna. And I and it's not really for fitness. It's more of just to see who's going to mentally break and and to see who's going to struggle. I mean, you obviously want to know who's come in decently fit and who hasn't when you're captain. But it, it's really just to see, you know. I just said – all I tell the guys is I don't care how fast you run it. Just don't stop running. Just don't walk. Just run. Just you can jog as slow as you want, but make it to the top and don't stop running. And you you kind of get a feel for the freshman that way and stuff. And but yeah, that that was always my kind of way out when I was I just, in slow. I loved running. I ran bishops. I ran Madonna because I've always been a pretty good runner. But I it was just an escape. You know what I mean? It's the same thing as soccer for me. You know, anytime I hit some sort of wall or some sort of you know, emotional low and, and you will when you're trying to become a prof- professional athlete or, you know, whatever it is, you, we all hit them. Um, I think pro athletes have their own uh, peaks and valleys that are probably more extreme than a lot of people realize. But, um, but yeah, I, I had soccer and, and running and those have been my releases. <laughs> you, uh, you said that you called your dad. Yeah. It is, is he like your like your rock, like your guidance? What what was the significance of, of calling him during that moment? Yeah, I just I don't know. I think uh, my whole family's my rock. My brother, I have one brother, my mom and my dad, and um, they're they're really the most supportive people like on the planet. Like I couldn't do wrong. Like I mean, to this day, sometimes I don't call them if I if I feel like I've had a bad game because they'll tell me how great I played and it, and it drives me crazy. <laughs> but um, but I 
but yeah, I just, I called my dad and my dad cares so much. Like sometimes it feels like he cares more than me, but I know he doesn't, but, uh, but he cares so much. And so I called him. It probably wasn't the best phone call because he was just pissed. He was just as pissed as I was, you know what I mean? And I don't know, I just, we had this like conversation about like, I'm just going to prove him wrong. I'm just going to prove him all wrong. And I don't know. It was, it was heavy. It was heavy. You can, you can tell that, that it was because you're, you're kind of, your voice is changing right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Are you reliving it? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> That's, it's a crazy time, but, but you, it, I mean, I don't want to say you've made it, but you're, you're definitely in the process of proving people wrong right now. And yeah. you, you went on and, and you, you got yourself to Sac Republic. You're, you're now on, on your way to Nashville. Um, and there's been some other stops along the way as well. Yeah. What, how, how long did it take you to refocus to, to achieve these goals? Uh, not long, <laughs> not long <laughs> at all. Um, I can remember I was already training that off season cause I wanted to be ready for whatever came, you know, I was, if it was going to be an MLS preseason, I was going to be ready for it. Um, and my biggest thing is always fitness. I think, you know, when I'm, when I'm as fit as I can be, I feel like I'm, there's nothing that can stop me because I, I won't stop running. And I'm, that that's kind of my game. I'm an engine and I just outwork people and tackle and do those, you know, the little things, the dirty work really. Um, so I was already working towards it. I was in, um, and one of the things I'll go back to Brian Reed, what he kind of instilled in me too, was that, um, especially when you take a setback like that, you know, the weight room has been huge for me. And I'm not saying that I'm some superhero in, in the weight room by any means, but if you want, as a young player to regain your confidence when you feel like you're rock bottom, um, you know, the weight room to me is the best place to do it because when you feel strong and fit, you know, the rest of the game comes, it, you, know, you know, how to play. You've been doing it since you were you know, 10 years old or you know, whatever it is, as long as, as young as most of us start. But when, when you get in the weight room and you feel fit and strong and your confidence is high, that's when I'm playing my best. And, um, so it's a combination of a lot of fitness and a lot of you know, weight and stuff. Same stuff I'm doing right now, really. Um, and yeah, just, I, I got the opportunity with Sacramento, um, which was good. I, I fought hard for a one year deal, which was also big. I actually had, you know, I don't know if they want me to say this, but I, I took, I had to get rid of my player housing. They were going to house me in an apartment. I had to give up my player housing just to get a one-year deal. Um, so I had to live at home out of college. and That's always um, the best, right? Yeah, my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it was, it was challenging. And then, you know, again, it's kind of the same as a Cal Poly. You know, you're told a lot of things. If you come into a club, you know, we really see big things for you. And they don't mean to. It's just a recruiting tool. It's the way that things work. But... Um, you know, they see, they told me they saw a future for me that I could play my first year at Sacramento. And my thought is, you know, like I'm sure a lot of other people, oh, I'll play one year at Sacramento and then I'll get, get in with an MLS team. And, um, you know, first 18 games or whatever it was, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I stopped counting, thankfully. Um, I never even put on a jersey for Sacramento. Um, 
played in an open cup game, but yeah, just no chances. Uh, played was playing well in training, in my opinion. I thought, you know, I, I, I was developing quickly. Maybe needed some developing, but I think I was probably there. I just needed somebody to put some confidence in me, and um, they were telling me I wasn't experienced enough to play. And so I said, send me somewhere where I can get the experience. If you guys don't think I can play for you guys, send me somewhere where I can. And, you know, about a week later, I remember Graham pulled me into his office. It was like Tuesday after training or something. Um, said, uh, you know, you're, you're going to Tulsa for a month and you're leaving tomorrow. And I was like, all right, I'll pack my bags. So I packed my bags. I actually met them down in L.A. They were playing Galaxy 2. Didn't start that game. I was there for five games. They didn't start that first game. They were down 2-0. They put me on. Uh, made a pretty good impact. I think we had a chance to score, which would have been, you know, might have changed the game. But we didn't. Lost the game 2-0. Next game, he wanted me to start. But I had kind of a nagging little calf injury. So I didn't start that game. And um, I think we won. And, you know, at this point, when I went to Tulsa, Tulsa had two wins in 14 games. So they were bottom of the Western Conference, worst team in the league. Um, and um, I started the rest of the games that I was there, the last three. And um, we won two, two games, lost two, and tied one while I was there. We tied the team in first place, too, on the road, 0-0, without our captain, who was on suspension. Um, so, you know, it was a good showing. And, you know, I got brought in after training that Monday and from the Tulsa coaches and they're like, hey, you know, we worked out a deal. You're going to stay here the rest of the season. We're enjoying having you. You're doing well. And I was like, great. I'm playing 90 minutes every week. This is awesome. I think, you know, I've found a home. I don't care where it is. I just want to build my resume, you know. And um, Again, of course. So that same night, about eight hours later, they call me and tell me Sacramento's pulling me back. So... Um, and you had no I, say in this, like you just, you're at the no. mercy. Yeah. And, you know, I knew Sacramento wasn't going to start me just cause they're bringing me back. So I was actually kind of upset about it at the time. Um, so I went back, they pulled me off, they brought me off the bench for like two to three games. And then my breakout game was kind of, was at home. We played San Antonio. They put me in at halftime. We were losing and I just played very, very well. I got in my mind, made a big impact and, um, actually ended up having to come off because I split my head open in the 80th minute. I went head to head with somebody, um, had to get five stitches. I was bleeding pretty bad. And, um, you know, the next week I got my first professional start in St. Louis for, at least for Sacramento. I got my, obviously I started for Tulsa, but, and I had again, another breakout game. I actually, funny story. The assistant coach at the time, Adam Smith, who was taken over at Fresno, I came up to me and the other center midfielder because we were used to playing with two forwards, but we moved to a three center midfielders formation to, um, you know, make room for all of us. And he came up to me and JJ and kind of was like, Hey, you know, if, if we're not getting enough support with one of the forwards, I might have to pull one of you early. And I thought that was just a really interesting thing to tell a rookie before <laughs> one of the first times you start him that, Hey, we might pull you early. You know, I was just like, Oh, geez, great news. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I had a two assists in the first half. We were up four one. Um, I was playing very well and ended up getting um, on team of the week that week after my first start. Um, 
we won the game four to three. I came off and it was four one, and we gave up two goals late, but won the game. And after that, I kind of sealed my spot as a starter for a bit. And I was, I mean, I was still playing well, but they they knew who I was at that point. When when did you go to Reno? Because um, it, it sounds like you you you're at Sac Republic. You go to Tulsa. Yeah. You come back, and and you you're telling these stories like you solidified your spot, but. You, yeah, you so you, you I uh, yeah, so so I did. I solidified my spot, um, and I played the last ten. I started the last eleven games of the season. Um, we didn't lose while I was there with Sacramento um, in those eleven games until the playoffs, which we lost in penalties. Um, and at the end of the season, kind of came around, and um, I was out of contract because I'd fought hard for that one-year deal, which you know. Was this was the whole point of it? Was you know I was I knew that I was going to prove myself. I knew in my heart that I was going to you know make something of that first year, and that I was going to be worth more than they were paying me. And you know I was right. I you know played those last games. We won the Western Conference, and I was starting at the time as a rookie. So you know to me I was worth more. And you know obviously the goal is is MLS. It always has been. Um, you know, to try to be with an MLS team. And, um, Sacramento made me an offer for a one year plus an option. I won't say exactly what the figure was, but it wasn't super impressive. Um, <laughs> and they wanted to, me to sign on for two more years, which, again, didn't really work for me because I believe in myself as a player and I, I thought I'd be worth more at the end of that second year than I was the first year, you know. And um, I, I tried to get the option off and wasn't really working. They were like, no, we want to protect our investment, which is basically saying, if you do really well and an MLS club wants you, we want to be able to sell you. Um, and Reno called and Reno made an offer that wasn't any more impressive, really. But they were offering me a one year deal and they were affiliated with an MLS club and were offering me the chance to, you know, prove myself to the Santa Fe earthquakes, you know, through them. And so I made the jump over there. Dude, this is so backwards for, uh, I'm sure a lot of people listening that there were professional soccer teams offering you longer contracts and you were, you were fighting against that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> because they're so not, backwards. Yeah. They're not, they're not guaranteed. First of all, you know, they're options they're team options. So, and, and they're in every USL contract and I, I'm, firmly against them because they're never in the interest of the player. Um, you know, if, if they have you, let's give you an example of, and you know, these are not figures that are my figures or anything, but let's say they have you for a hundred or for $1,500 a month. And, you know, they have an option to resign you the next year. And the options are only to increase your pay by 10%. Well, if you're making $1,500, a 10% increase in your pay is not a good increase, you know? You don't get realistically, it's not, it's not something that you're interested in as a player. And if you believe in yourself and you think you're going to prove yourself, you've got to think that you're going to be worth more than a 10% increase the next year. And so that's why I've never taken any player options so far. And um, were, you, were you operating this entire time with an agent or without an agent? Yeah, I have an agent. I, I got him out of college. Um, and, yeah, he's, he's helped me through the process. I think, you know, ultimately, of any player, I'll tell you this, 
five percent of the work is done by the player. You know, if, if you perform, you you get the interest. The agent is a nice liaison that protects you from having to have difficult conversations with people that are deciding whether you play or not. You know, it's always interesting to me when when people decide to to pull the trigger and and, and get an agent because if you don't if you don't get it early enough you get yourself into those situations where you, you get into a year contract with a two year option or something like that. And, yeah. And then you're, you're stuck somewhere, or, you know, somebody owns you basically for, for two, three years. And then if you pull the trigger too early and it's like, well, I'm paying this guy 10% of, you know, $1,500. That's, that's not helping me either. So. Yeah. I mean, most, to be honest though, most agents won't take your money if you're on $1,500. I mean, if you have a decent one, they shouldn't, yeah, because it's not really their interest and it's not going to make a difference, you know, and most of them operate at market standards, really like 5%. Um, and my agent, thankfully, is always negotiated with the club so that his pay is separate. So the club oh, pays awesome. his club pays his fee. I've never paid him a dollar from one of my checks. Uh, I mean, unless you consider the fact that, like, I guess whatever he's negotiated with the club could technically be money for me. But I don't really look at it that way. I think it's a separate little thing. And he's, you know, yeah, he's he's worked well for me at this point. How, clo- how close are you guys? Uh, not really, really close. It's more of like a co-worker kind of relationship. Um, and I think it's better that way because you never really know when you might need to move on from an agent. Um, you know, I think he's a good guy, but a lot of them too want to play this loyalty card that you're loyal to them and they should be loyal to you. And, and, you know, realistically, if he doesn't have anything going for you and it just does, it, it doesn't really work that way. You know, you have to do what's best for you in your career. And if it means you have to get rid of your agent, your career is too short and you know, the business is too cutthroat where if you have to get rid of them, you have to get rid of them and it shouldn't be personal. The the way, the way that you talk, you're 24, 25 years old, 24, yeah, 24, the way that you talk and conduct yourself, you're, you're wise, wise beyond your ears, man. (laughs) Cause a lot of of 24 year olds, they, they haven't figured that stuff out. And, and now hearing a little bit about your story, and the situations you were kind of thrown into as a, as a 20 or 21 year old dealing with some of the stuff at, at Cal Poly and the coaching changes and playing changes. It, it makes sense though. It makes sense that you handle yourself like this and you're able to stay level headed and, and kind of see it for what it is. And that's, yeah. a, that's a massive advantage right now, I think for you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, first of all, but I, I think, yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely through the experiences that I've had to go through as a player and as a person that have kind of shaped me for, um, you know, these types of things. And, um, it's, I don't regret any of them. I'm happy that I didn't get drafted. I'm happy that I, you know, I will redshirt it at Cal Poly because those types of things made me into the person and the player that I am today. So, you know, without those things, who knows where I would be, who knows what kind of player or person I would be. Too. Before, before we wrap up, I want to, I want to hit the fast forward button and get to, to Nashville and, and then get your, get your thoughts on just a couple more things. But, we're, we're recording this interview on, let's see, what is it, Tuesday, December or something? I don't know. Um, yeah. But the, there's a bunch of rumors floating around today, and, and we kind of talked before we started recording, that uh, that you know just about as much as everybody else knows right now that uh, there's rumors that MLS is, is going to announce something tomorrow yeah. uh, with with Nashville. And, 
and I was kind of I, I was kind of hoping you would just confirm something for me, but but you kind of mentioned that you you know just about as much as everybody else, and and one of the questions that I had written down was uh, was the move to Nashville was it tied into like this idea of of becoming an MLS player, or, or what were the motivations uh, for for choosing Nashville as your next destination? Yeah, so I think. Um you know, there's a lot of things that factor in to, you know, why you make a decision to move or to be a play for a certain club or whatever it is. Um, you know, the first thing that I'll, I'll hammer in, um, you know, in terms of Nashville is that the way that Gary, uh, the head coach, Gary Smith, and, and Mike Jacobs, uh, you know, talk about the club, the future of the club, what they want for this club, um, is they really sold me on it. And, you know, obviously everybody's got their own spiel on how they're going to sell you on their club. But I really believe that not only are they, is Nashville going to be um, something special, but I think that the way they talk about it, the vision that they have for the club um, is, is very appealing to a player. Um, the other thing that they, they did is that they really um, – they made me believe, and you know, I, obviously, you never know till, they, till you get there. But I, I still feel very confident in saying that they believe in me as a player, um, very much. Um, they've, they've shown that um, in a way that a lot of other clubs haven't shown um, that they believe in me as a player, and that they think that I have what it takes to play in the MLS. Um, and obviously, I believe that, and it's up to me to prove that to them. Um, so those were big things. Um, you, when when you deal with something like, it is difficult. When you deal with something like Nashville's obviously been an MLS prospect for a while now, um, and how you factor that into your choice and how much of that really factors into your choice um, can be a challenge because, you know, first of all, you don't want to get too wrapped up into it because just because they go to the MLS doesn't mean they're taking you with them. You know, that's a really good point. Um, they, you know, there's actually there's no guarantee at all. And even if they were to say, hey, let's put, you know, two a year in your USL contract or two years in your USL contract and we'll guarantee an MLS contract after that, it technically has no merit. Um, it, it, they can't actually do that. Um, so it, it has to go through like a separate con contract base. I, I don't know all the details of it, but technically they can't really sign you to an MLS team before they even have an MLS team. You know what I mean? No, um, that, that makes sense because from everything <coughs> I've kind of learned about MLS is that M MLS has their own contract. So, yeah, they would be anything with USL wouldn't, wouldn't carry over. Yeah. And, you know, it's a single entity based the league and all that stuff. So um, the, the one of the things that's really appealing to me about this whole process of, of Nashville possibly going to MLS or you know, obviously with the announcements that have been taking place today with the commissioners obviously going to be in Nashville tomorrow to make an announcement. Um, it looks very promising. I feel very confident at this point. Um, is that Gary and Mike are both qualified to continue on with Nashville if they were in the event that they were to go to MLS? You know, Dude, that is a Mike, super interesting point that, that you just brought up that I had I had not even thought of. So sorry for interrupting, but that's, no. that's a beautiful point. Yeah, because, um, you know, for me, if I were to go to Nashville and they have a coach and a GM who I don't think are really qualified to go with them to MLS, 
it doesn't do me because the coach and the GM make the player decisions at the end of the day. So, you know, say you're in a place, I'll give you like, say St. Louis and they were going to get an MLS team, but they have a coach and a GM who probably won't go with them to MLS. It doesn't really do me any good because if I impress that coach and that GM and they bring in a new guy, they're going to bring in their new guys. And that's just how the business works. Um, you know, you look at the San Jose situation, they're getting, and I'll talk on it because I know it through Reno, they're getting a lot of European players because the general manager, Jesse, is from Europe and he knows European players. You know, that's why there's a lot of European players moving over. That's how they work. Um, I think Mike and Gary, in the event that they go to the MLS, are both qualified. I mean, Gary's obviously won an MLS Cup before. Um, Mike's been the right-hand man at Sporting Kansas City for years, and they're considered one of the best MLS organizations in the league. So um, they're both qualified to be there and to be where they are and to make the jump if Nashville goes, which I think is a big piece because if I can earn – their respect and their trust in this year that I have, or maybe two years or whatever it is, then, you know, maybe it's a situation where they bring me with, which happens pretty often. What are some of the goals that you're, that you're going to Nashville with right now? Like, what do you have on your mind as you're, Um, as you're getting ready to head out there? Yeah. So, um, you know, I think uh, when we get there, we'll obviously set, team goals and we'll we'll have goals for the season and I, I know what I expect um, you know especially as our, our roster gets pieced together I expect our team to be um, very competitive in our first year um, I try to set goals um, I haven't actually set goals for the, the entire season but I set short-term goals all the time because um, I think they're a little more effective sometimes I think it's good to have an idea of what you want but I know, for example, like I haven't written it down anywhere, but I know that my goal would be if Nashville goes in 19 or 20 to earn an MLS contract in Nashville. That's what I would want for myself. Um, but I've set short-term goals for this offseason, like a weight that I want to be at, um, you know, coming into preseason, um, times for specific runs that I want to be at, like all those types of things, just to make sure that I'm, you know, maximizing my ability to be prepared for this for this upcoming season because you know then you get to preseason and you you regroup and you reset and you set more goals and then yeah I like to break it up into smaller pieces rather than saying oh in you know November next year I'm going to be doing this I mean yeah those can be helpful but you know sometimes they can seem too far-fetched and unattainable of course well, I, I didn't anticipate asking this question but after listening to you tell your story and, and the way that you've navigated this this path this it's a crazy path by the way um do do you have ambitions to to be a coach later on um yeah i think that's something that i'll again i'll probably cross paths with when i'm you know closer to those those days i i really enjoy i mean obviously a lot of us do coaching and stuff on the side um i really enjoy coaching people that are motivated and want to be better um sometimes you don't always get those situations so you know i think down the line it's something that i could be very interested in especially you know at a competitive level with you know teams that are um and kids that are trying to reach something but um yeah that that would have to be the the situation i I don't really particularly enjoy coaching kids that are just like out to have some fun yeah and the reason why i asked too is because a lot of times when I'm talking to an athlete or, or even coaches, 
um, for that matter. They they don't have, um, I guess, like clear ideas and and you know, um, and look at me. I'm talking about clear ideas. I can't even talk clear. Um, but a a clear understanding of, of what's actually happening in that moment. And I feel like this entire time that you've been telling your story that in each moment you've been, you've been super clear and level headed. And, and and I think that's, if, if I can say this, I I think it's leading you towards a path in like a leadership role. Maybe it's not coaching, maybe it's something else in the game, but I think you're, you're on a, on a clear path to continue on long after your playing days are done, man. Thank you. Yeah. I, um, yeah, you know, I think about it and I, I actually do take steps to prepare for after soccer still. Um, one of the things I actually missed when I became a pro was the continuing, the continuation of some sort of learning. So, you know, I do some, I actually do try to teach myself some computer programming in my spare time. So, Oh Jesus, um, you're an animal dude. That, that's, <laughs> that's insane. That's, that's a whole separate deal. And I wouldn't say I'm, particularly good at it but it is challenging which i do like challenges um so but but yeah i I think um i don't know those will be things i'll cross when i get there but i try not to get too ahead of myself actually my dad's the one that kind of tries to bring me back all the time he's like when you're playing soccer and this is your career and you got to focus on this is what he, he always tells me but i think it's good to have escapes from the game too and be able to get away properly of course of course um all right. Well, I, I, I don't really know, uh, <laughs> what your future is going to be at this point, because yeah. maybe an announcement tomorrow, maybe not, but by the time this episode gets released, we'll, we'll know. So, uh, um, yeah. I'll make sure I add that into the, into the intro and then I can, I can probably, um, circle back and, and give people a little update, um, when, uh, when all the news breaks. So I guess it, maybe a, a good way to end the, the episode is going to be, any anything that you have on your chest right now that you want to get out to you know people that are listening players that are listening parents coaches former teammates yeah well (laughs) i mean that could end up being a long time but uh, (laughs) but no i will say one of the things that i was thinking about um you know i remember you wrote down you know what what makes you are, are you nervous for the change are you nervous for you know all the new people and all this stuff that's going to happen you know soon in your life and i think you know realistically i'm, I'm excited for this change to move to nashville um you know and i think as a player you have to be able to embrace these types of situations and be able to make the most of them um or because you don't have control you know, you, even even if you're on a four-year deal somewhere, you could be traded at any time. You could be sold. Um, so you kind of have to just say, "Hey, I'm I'm along for the ride." Um, but that's what, another thing that probably factored into my decision with Nashville is that it is a great place, from what I hear, to live and um, a growing city. And I think it's easy to get a bit lost in the idea of you know we're we're players, but we're also just human beings. And you know, I think the lifestyle of being in Nashville is going to be exciting for me. And I'm excited to see what it, what it brings for me. Well, go have fun in Nashville, but you're, you're always <laughs> going to be, you're always going to be a slow guy. Just remember that. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> California uh, at heart. Of course. Um, <laughs> all right, dude. Well, I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed getting to know you. Um, yeah. And I appreciate you spending a little bit more uh, time than we had planned for. I think we said 45 minutes and we're, we're pushing an hour and 15. So, yeah that's that's awesome no thank you and 
Um, yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. I mean, it's good for me to have to say it out loud. Sometimes I forget where I, I, I all the stuff I've done. All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast. Thank you to Matt for coming on the show. And if you guys want more information about 343, you guys can find all of that at 343coaching.com. And while you're there, you can look up information about our free seven-week course, or you can take a little bit deeper of a dive into the 343 possession-based methodology with the premium multi-phase course. All of that information is available on 343coaching.com. Once again, uh, thank you guys for listening and tuning in week after week. I really appreciate you guys and just want to take a moment again and say thank you. Uh, All right, with that, we will uh, catch you guys next time here on the 343 Podcast.